even when your trust has been broken and when it's been breached, think about how is there a way that I can come back into my body, come back into my heart, come back into my soul and come back into my mind as a more trusting human being, even after someone has done something to you that has been really challenging. Because overall, I will say everything is a lesson. Hello, welcome back to the Wholehearted Glow podcast. I'm your host, Blaze Collette, and I hope you're having a great day wherever you are. Maybe the sun is shining, or maybe you're finally getting some cool weather after a hot summer, and I'm really excited to be here with you today. And I'm excited to get into this episode, but before we do jump right into that, I wanted to let you all know about some offerings that we have at the wholeheartedglowcoaching.com website. Right now, I'm really excited about sharing with you my 10K running program. This is for anyone who feels like, you know, maybe they're a runner, maybe you personally have been running for a long time, or maybe you just started running and you would like to get faster. Um, I have been running for over 13 years. I'm 28 now and I started when I was 12 or 13 years old. And, you know, it's just been such a great way to come back to myself throughout all the years has been through running. And I always really struggled with going fast and moving my body really quickly when I was running because I didn't like the pain associated with it. And it took a lot of getting out of my comfort zone when I began doing triathlon to really start increasing my body's capacity to run fast. And ever since I started running intervals, I've just seen so many positive results in my body and in my mind that I became really passionate about teaching people how to run fast. And you can do this through very specific training. And so when I was training for my Ironman about a year and a half ago, I did a lot of this very particular type of interval training. And I really wanted to share this with other people. So that's why I created the 10K Speedy Legs and Toned Ass Program. And it's a great program because it's for anyone who wants to be able to run for at least an hour nonstop. And for anyone who wants to get fast. So there's a really specific way that I teach you how to pace yourself, how to use your timer, how to prepare for your runs. And every week you will be following a series of progressions so that every week you're doing something different and you're getting stronger and stronger in the process. I also included some strength workouts in there as well so that you are building muscle too. So I'm really passionate about this program because I created it because I needed a solution and I wanted to share that solution that I found with you through the athletic training that I've done over the years so that it's accessible to anyone. So feel free to go over to wholeheartedglowcoaching.com and check out my speedy legs and toned ass 10K program. Okay, so now we're going to go ahead and get into the episode. This is probably going to be one of the heavier episodes that I have ever recorded. So the first thing that I want to say is uh, there is a big trigger warning here for any sexual assault, anyone who has been a victim of sexual assault, anyone who has been raped. I just want to let you know that that will be discussed in this episode. And I know that for me, when I'm listening to podcasts, I do like to know if there's going to be something that's going to trigger me um, in the episode because 
you know, we all have different things that we're working through, but I really think that it is so important for me to share this story with you because um, there are so many people that are victims of sexual assault and they don't ever have the courage to talk about it. And it's taking a lot of courage for me today to be here and talk about this with you. But I really want to do it because I would like to raise awareness for this type of situation that occurred and to let you know that you're not alone and that it can happen to anyone. So let's go ahead and get started. The first thing I want to share is a statistic about sexual assault. So all of these are from the RAIN, it's spelled R-A-I-N-N.org website, and it's a really great resource for anyone who is a survivor of sexual assault or trauma. And I wanted to share this statistic with you. Out of every 1,000 sexual assaults, only 310 are reported to the police. And I can say honestly that that is very true um, because I am going to share with you today my story about um, my rape. So I was actually raped in... I would say February of this year when I was living in Colombia in South America. And I know what you're thinking. You're probably thinking, oh, well, she was probably drunk at a club or in a back alley or, you know, it's Colombia. It's a developing country. She probably wasn't in a safe place. And I just want to let you know that that's not true. Um, I was completely sober when it happened. So I remember everything which is kind of unfortunate, but I guess probably better for my own healing. And it was by someone that I knew and thought that I trusted and also trusted with my life because they were my climbing instructor. So let's get right into it. Um, Another thing that I wanted to note that I found to be very interesting is that the average age of Sexual assault is 27, and I was 27 when it happened. So I'm not really sure why that number in particular happens to be the most popular age. But what I do find to be interesting is that 55% of sexual assaults occur at or near um, the house of the person that is either engaging in the activity, like raping the person or at the victim's house. So I found that to be very interesting because I'm thinking to myself, like, is that because there are more date rapes happening than we realize? Because I found growing up that like, I thought, oh, well, only people that get assaulted are, you know, someone who's walking down the wrong street at the wrong time at night, or they're blacked out at a party or something like that, where it's almost like they're putting themselves in the situation to be raped. However, what I found and what I'm finding with this statistic of where these rapes are happening and also the average age is that it's typically with someone that you know in a place that you initially feel that you're safe. And it's kind of happening from that perspective as opposed to what the media portrays, which is just this random occurrence by this random stranger on a random day. So I'm going to tell you the whole story from start to finish. And I, you know, this is a pretty sensitive subject for me. So if I choke up or I, I, I cry, just know that that is because, um, 
it's really, really hard to share this. And it's almost embarrassing and shameful because you feel personally like you could have prevented it or like it was your fault or you should have seen the signs or you should have, you know, listened to your intuition. But yet I personally find myself to be a fairly intuitive person. And I didn't really see any of those signs in regards to like someone who would harm me in this way. So if I do get a little emotional, that's why. And like I said, I'm doing this and I'm sharing this podcast episode because I want to raise awareness. So if anyone you know is going through something like this or has been through something like this, or if this is relatable to you, just know you're not alone. You can reach out for help. um, And I will provide some of those resources at the end of the episode. So I was living in Colombia for over four months at the beginning of this year. And about a month and a half into that time, I went into the mountains of Colombia because I wanted to focus on rock climbing and getting good at rock climbing. So I'm going to keep things pretty vague in regards to location and details on that because I'm not going to be disclosing the name of the rapist. But um, yeah, so I went into the mountains of Colombia. I was staying in this area where there was a lot of great access to rock climbing. And I had a friend of a friend who told me, which another interesting fact is that the largest majority of rapes happen from an acquaintance, not from someone super, super close to you, though that does happen. Typically, it's like through knowing someone. So that was actually the case here. And, um, I had a friend of a friend who connected me with someone who was a climber and this person was willing to teach me a lot about rock climbing. And I was really grateful because when you do first start out in rock climbing, which as you know, I've been getting pretty into when you do start out with rock climbing, um, there's just a lot to learn. There's a lot of skills. It's very technical. You need to have a lot of gear. You need to have all of these like very specific items. And then you also need to have someone who has the patience to explain to you exactly what you need to be doing with set equipment and gear so that you don't die when you're climbing because rock climbing is very fun, but it is also very life and death. You could be fine in one moment and you could be dead in literally a split second, which I know is a little morbid, but that's an important thing to think about in the context of this story because, um, This person I really trusted because I was trusting him with my life so many times um, throughout the course of, let's say, like a month that we were seeing each other and rock climbing together. So I met up with him and we started climbing together and we just immediately got along very, very well and I felt connected to him. Um, I would say I wasn't super attracted to him in the sense of like it wasn't immediate, but I wasn't not attracted to him either. I also was just getting to this space personally where I decided I didn't want to just have random sex and I haven't been having random sex for a long time. Um, I'm very intentional about that. And I just really think about the people that I'm intimate with and I don't just do that with anyone. So this was no exception. Um, For me, it doesn't really matter, you know, how hot the person is or how into them I am. Like, I really like to think about my decision and make an educated, insightful, intuitive choice on when I do want to be intimate with that person. So 
we had been getting to know each other, hanging out. And every time we hung out, we had a great time. We would hang out for like longer periods of time. It wasn't like, you know, when you go on a date and it's two or three hours and you're like, oh, I'm so ready to be done with this. Can't wait for this to be over. It wasn't like that. It was, you know, 24 hours, 48 hours hanging out together, cooking meals together, going rock climbing. Um, he was teaching me a lot of stuff about rappelling and grease and ropes and rope management. These are all climber terms. Um, but yeah, so we had been hanging out a few times and we had like kissed, but nothing else. And that was that. And so that's just kind of the background about the type of relationship that we had and we were starting to see each other. But yeah, so that's kind of, that's exactly where we were at. And then um, now I'm going to paint the picture for you about what happened on the day of and everything leading up to it, especially because I didn't realize that when someone violates you or assaults you, they do it um, in a time when when you feel vulnerable, um, which is a hard thing for me to come to terms with because I'm a very strong person and I don't get vulnerable with just anyone either mentally or physically. Like I don't really go there with everyone. I'm very open with everyone, but I'm not going to go into that vulnerable place very easily because I have a fear of being hurt when I'm in that place. So that's something I'm actively working through right now. But anyway, the day of, it started out as a really great day. We had been hanging out. We went into the canyon. We were rappelling for like a few hours. And then after that, we were rock climbing. And I was learning how to lead climb, which is where you take more risk in placing equipment and gear. And you understand that if you do lead climbing, you could very well fall and hit the rock. And, you know, there's a lot more risk of injury. So basically, I was lead climbing after we had done some rappelling. And I fell on a very challenging climb because the area I was in was very, um, how do I put this, advanced. So you couldn't go there as a beginner rock climber. And the person I was with was very advanced. So it was easier for him to be there, obviously. But for me, it was a lot more challenging. So I was like, well, I'll just try lead climbing on this one rock. Like, it'll be fine. And it was fine for the first the first draw, the first bolt, which is basically like the first point on the rock, which is about, I don't know, let's say 10 feet up. And then the second rock, second part of the bolt was, um, or of the route, my apologies, was about another 10 feet up from that. So as I'm going towards the second bolt, I unfortunately did not clip it properly. Well, not properly. I just, I didn't have the technique to get myself to the bolt and I fell and I smacked my ankle on the rock and it was really, really painful. Now I know how to fall. So when I do take falls when I'm rock climbing, it's not quite as painful, but I didn't really know. I was very new, had no idea what I was really getting myself into. And yeah, I just fell and really fucked up my ankle and it was super painful. If you were following me on Instagram four or five months ago, you might've seen pictures my ankle looked literally like a golf ball. So it was crazy. And then after that, um, we kept climbing and then we were like, okay, like we have to go back because we were going to have this barbecue at his house. So he lived in this 
super cool area and he was having some friends over. We were going to barbecue and then I was going to stay the night at his house. Okay. So we had to go from the canyon back up to the area in which he lived, which was probably a 30 or 45 minute hike out of the woods. So mind you, we had already been rappelling off of the face of a cliff, which is where you descend vertically from the top of an area into a canyon. Um, probably like a thousand foot rappel. Uh, we had done that for two or three hours. Then we had climbed for an hour or two. Then we had to do this relatively strenuous hike, especially when you have a sprained ankle for about 45 minutes. So we do that. We get back up to the house, um, where he lived and we had some people over. So we had some friends over, we were having a barbecue, et cetera, et cetera. Everything was going great, but my ankle was really hurting. And I was just hanging out with everyone and trying to have a good time. But you know, those days when you've just been through it all and you're exhausted and you just want to lay in bed and rest and do your thing. That was definitely the mood that I was in. Um, And if you know me, you know, I'm not really much of a night person. So in the evenings, it's really hard for me to stay super social because by like 10 or 11 o'clock, I just want to go to bed, want to be done with the day. And it had just been a really intense day. So I was like, okay, well, to this person, I'm going to go up like from the area where we were having the barbecue to the, uh, to the house. And I'm going to go to bed cause I'm exhausted and I need to ice my ankle because it's literally so painful. Like I can't even walk on it. And so I hobble myself up to the house. I get some ice. I go up to the room and I'm just laying in bed. And then probably like 30 minutes later, he comes back and it was the first moment of like feeling vulnerable and intimate with someone that I had felt because I was in like a helpless place where my ankle had hurt, was hurting so bad that I needed someone to rub ice on it. And I just needed that, you know, and it doesn't matter how strong you are or how independent you are as a woman, especially I'm speaking to all my ladies out there, like You can be the most strong and independent person, but it's still okay to need someone to lean on or like to have someone there for you. And it was like the first time since basically being in a relationship with my ex, which I know I've spoken a little bit about on the pod, and that was almost four years ago, um, that I went there. Um, And I, I think I went there because it was more of like a physical reaction where I was just like, I need someone's help. I need someone to comfort me right now because I'm in a lot of pain. And it kind of brought me this like flashback because as he came up from having been at the barbecue, I was like, can you please like rub my ankle? And he was like, yes. And so he did. And he got the ice and started to rub my ankle. And I was just like feeling that like breath of fresh air feeling of, oh my gosh, like I can finally just relax and not have to worry and feel okay with what's happening. And he's going to help me and take care of me. And, um, it was like, I saw him there, but then I also would like, I kind of like saw my ex at the same time there, like rubbing my ankle. Cause he was always such a protector for me. And he always was there for me and held me and cared for me so deeply that I started to feel like, oh, it it could be possible for someone else to go to that place with me. 
And yeah. And so it was just really heartbreaking what happened after that. So after that, I'm finally feeling like more relaxed. And this is really, really hard to talk about. Um, (laughs) but I'm gonna do it for you or for anyone who is going through something similar. So we're just gonna go through what happened. Um and yeah. So I he stopped rubbing my ankle and then we I was like, well, I'm going to bed. I'm exhausted. It was like eleven o'clock at night. I had to work the next day and um and I like started making out a little bit, but like I said, that was all we had done and that was all I was really comfortable with at this time because we had only hung out. You know, we'd hung out quite a few times, but I just wasn't ready. And there's like nothing wrong with that. So anyway, um, we started to make out and then he started to progress that. And he had been drinking and I was completely sober because as you know, they do not drink. I, you know, now, you know, I'm traveling a little bit. I drink maybe a glass of wine, let's say per week or maybe two per week, but nothing crazy. I'm always in control. I don't get drunk. I don't get fucked up. I don't black out. I was completely sober in this situation. I had not drinking. Maybe I had had like two or three sips of wine, but that was it. I knew exactly what was going on. And he started to progress this, this situation. And before I know it, like my pants are off and there was no consent about whether that was okay or not, which is a whole nother thing I want to get into after this. But anyways, so, um, yeah, he started to take my pants off and then I remember, and it's crazy because your brain still tells you that it's your fault. But I remember I said no so many times. I said like, no, I don't want to do this. No, like this isn't, I'm not ready for this. I don't want to do this right now. I don't want to have sex. And I wasn't saying it in a way that was like rude. I wasn't saying no, stop right now. But I was saying verbally, no, 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 no. And um, yeah, and then next thing I know, like he is inside me and there's no condom. (laughs) And I just remember like literally leaving my body and being like, and one of my friends had talked to me about this who has been raped before. And I didn't really understand what she meant because I had never experienced it. But when you're in a traumatic situation like that, and you're being so violated in the sense of your wishes are not being respected, (laughs) um, you leave your body. And I just remember being like, I just want this to end. Like, I just want this to be over. I hate this feeling. This is not okay. Like this person is taking something away from me that was not theirs to take, was not theirs to receive because I did not give it. And yeah, luckily it was only like three or four minutes. Thank God. Um, And then he stopped and, you know, whatever. And that was that. And I was just so in shock and in such disbelief, especially after the day that I had had that this was even happening. I didn't even know what to do. I didn't know how to feel. I didn't know what I should be feeling. I was just like in such a state of confusion and disassociation with my body and with the entire situation that I was like, 
what the fuck is happening? And the most crazy thing to me was that it was like weird Stockholm syndrome like type vibes where if you know what Stockholm syndrome is, it's basically like there's a person that's making you ill or hurting you or doing wrong to you, but then you feel very attracted to them and you want to get closer to them because it's like they're like willingly putting you through the pain. It's it's very weird. It's a psychological thing, but I just remember after being like, I have no one to turn to. Like, I'm completely by myself. I'm going to turn to this person. And so, like, after the sex happened, I just remember, like, he literally just, like, fell asleep and passed out. And I was just, like, there thinking to myself, what the fuck just happened? What went down? I really don't understand. And... Yeah, I felt really frustrated and like just confused, as I said. And then after that, the next morning, like I had to leave because I had to go to work. Um, So I left the area where he lived and I called one of my friends who had been raped and I told her what happened and she was just like, there's nothing okay with what he did. But what was really shocking to me was how many excuses I was making for him and how I was like, oh, well, maybe it was just like not his fault and maybe it was my fault. And it was like, as I was looking back at it throughout the course of that day, I had to keep telling myself, no, you were completely sober. You said no. He didn't listen and it's not your fault and it's not okay that this happened. So then I reached out to my other friend who used to work with victims of sexual assault and she was like, Blaze, like, are you safe? Are you okay? And I was just so distraught and I didn't even know what to say, what to do or what to think. And so I really took some time to think about it and to process it. And then I reached out to him and because after I was talking to one of my friends and I was telling her, yeah, should I reach out to him? Like, I think I still like him. Like, I still want to hang out with him, blah, 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 blah. And she was like, Blaze, oh my God, like you definitely should not be talking to him. You should not be hanging out with him. Like, why are you feeling that way? But the reality is it's like back to that Stockholm syndrome thing where you genuinely think that there's no way that this person would want to harm you. And they do and they don't listen to you and they don't respect you. And you're just so in disbelief that that has happened that you can't really fathom completely cutting off communication or telling them. And so I finally, I think after a day or two, mustered up the courage to talk to this person. And I sent him a message and I was just like, look, I don't know what the fuck you were thinking the other night, but that was not okay. Like I verbally said no multiple times and you didn't listen to me. And he played it off as, which I found another statistic that says most rapists are not anyone who looks like a rapist or anyone who looks creepy or weird. They're just normal people like this guy who pass it off as a miscommunication. And that's exactly what he said to me. He was like, oh, I'm sorry. Like, it was a miscommunication. I didn't really understand like what you meant. I thought maybe you did want to. And I was just like, no, like I definitely said no. So I don't really understand how that's a miscommunication. So that was weird. And I just wanted to talk about 
the experience that I had because it made me realize everything that happened after it, like after I was raped, it really has changed so much about the way I view sex and the way I view intimate exchanges and how it is so important to me now to have conversations about consent with anyone that I am considering being intimate with. And it was really sad to me and really fucked up that I had never even really learned about consent until I had been violated by someone not respecting the boundaries that I was putting into place. And so I really want to talk about consent right now because I think it's so, so important. And you might be wondering, well, what exactly is consent? Consent is an agreement between participants that are deciding to engage in a sexual activity. Consent should be clearly and freely communicated. A verbal and affirmative expression of consent can hold both you and your partner to understand and respect each other's boundaries. Consent cannot be given by individuals who are underage, intoxicated, or incapacitated by drugs or alcohol, or asleep or unconscious. Um, if someone agrees to an activity under pressure or intimidation or threat, that is not consent because it was not given freely. And this is just so important. Like you really need to think about when you're in situations with people that you're newly becoming intimate with where you need to communicate and what's could potentially be upsetting for you. And this is something, like I said, that I didn't even realize I needed until after this happened, because now it's like I go back into the dating world and I go back into engaging in, let's say, intimate things with people. And it's number one, way harder, nearly impossible because of lack of trust. And number two, I realized that I have to have consent conversations with people and they're pretty uncomfortable um, because what happens is, and you know, I'm doing this podcast for anyone who's been a victim of sexual assault. Um, what happens with us is that we, our body and our mind tell us that we're really not safe. And so we want to have a conversation with the potential person that we're going to be with or be intimate with and, and let them know that we need to have more consent. And then I have found that I feel like shame or guilt around that because I'm like, well, I don't want to put this on someone else or why should my rape be their problem? But the reality is everything is connected. And if you don't feel safe around the person that you're being intimate with, it's just, it's not going to feel good because then you could potentially get triggered while something is happening sexually. and the partner that you're with could just not know. So what I will say is have a hard consent conversation with someone before you get involved. And this is even more ridiculous to say, but when you're first starting to date someone, just stay in public places as much as possible. Because even if you totally trust them and you're having a great time, et cetera, et cetera, it's going to be easier to get into that intimate place if you are in private as opposed to if you were in public. So if you're not comfortable having that conversation yet, it's very important that you stay in more public areas where like there's no way you're going to end up with your clothes off. There's no way you're going to end up potentially having sex with that person because, you know, you're at a park or you're on a hike together or you're at dinner together. So really think about that and I have found for me it's really important that I have someone checking in and being like 
how are you doing? Like, are you okay here? Do I need to stop? Is everything feeling okay? Um, are you comfortable? Are you uncomfortable? And I just really want to push that fact. So I really encourage you to be open and honest when you need to have a consent conversation with someone and then allow yourself to go there with someone when you feel ready and tell them. And that is crucial. So now we think about that reintegration. And after sharing that story, the biggest lesson that I learned from the whole thing was how to, and I know I talked about this in the digital nomading podcast in the personal episode, but how to be my own ally, be my own advocate and be my own best friend. Because before this had happened, this was in February, I had been really struggling with imposter syndrome, very low self-worth, depression, just all sorts of stuff that is really not fun to talk about. And after this experience, it taught me that I have to advocate for myself and I have to let people know when something's not okay. And even though I did let someone know in that situation that something was not okay and my wishes were not respected and my verbalization was not respected, I still can do that now in the present tense and in the future. And I can advocate for myself. So I really think that this is such an important thing to think about and also to think about trust, right? And I want you to ask yourself, when's the last time you wholeheartedly and fully decided that you were going to trust yourself and trust whatever decision you were making and trust that you were on the right path and trust that you were speaking out in a way that was proper for whatever situation you've been in, right? Because like I said, when I was really struggling with the imposter syndrome and struggling with low self-worth, I wasn't ever trusting myself. I was never believing in myself that I had the capacity within me to do whatever thing it was that I needed to do. And after having this experience and also in continuing to heal, especially with rock climbing, because that was hard for me to get back into after it happened, it's really just taught me to be in my own corner and to trust my decisions. So if there is a practice for you that allows you to build that trust in yourself and allows you to build that capacity within to feel confident in your decision making, I highly suggest that you practice that on a daily basis. And that's why, you know, I know I've spoken a little bit about rock climbing on this episode, but that's something that has been so helpful for me is when I'm climbing, I have to trust myself. I have to trust the person I'm with and I have to trust the decisions we're making together as a team, but also the decisions that I'm making on my own. Because if I don't understand my gear and my equipment and I don't trust that, okay, if I remove this carabiner from this wall, this is going to be okay and I'm not going to die. If I don't trust that, then I put myself at a higher risk for injury or death because I am not thinking properly about the processes that need to happen. And so it's been really, really healing for me to continue to climb and to continue to be like, yes, you are doing this properly. This is this is correct. You do trust yourself. And then having my backbone of the person that I'm climbing with as kind of my soundboard and my communicator to be like, hey, is this what we're doing? Okay, cool. This is what we're doing. Let's do it now, et cetera, et cetera. Let's go. So really find that practice for you um, and reintegrate back into your life 
even when your trust has been broken and when it's been breached, think about how is there a way that I can come back into my body, come back into my heart, come back into my soul, and come back into my mind as a more trusting human being, even after someone has done something to you that has been really challenging. Because overall, I will say everything is a lesson and everything for me is a blessing. Like I never had the capacity to have empathy for people that had been raped because I always thought that, you know, like I was never anti-rape victims. You know, I always would listen and support, but I always kind of thought, I think subconsciously in the back of my head as a result of what modern society has taught us about rape because no one teaches consent. I never had one single consent conversation as a child. I never had one single consent conversation as an adolescent or a teenager. And they never taught consent in adult ed, which is, uh, was it adult ed or what was it like home ec? I don't know, health class so fucked up. They never taught that. And so I didn't even know until after I was raped that you need to have consent to engage in sexual activity. And so I will say it has been overall such a blessing that this occurred because it has really taught me that I do deserve having consent. I do deserve having the ability to communicate openly with someone if I'm not feeling comfortable. And that's so, so, so important. So I really want you to think about how you can reintegrate after your experience, go back into the world in a way that you need to go back into the world so that you can show up for other people, still trusting yourself, still able to trust other people, still able to become intimate and still able to do those things in your own time when you're ready. So that is, that is my story. And I'm really grateful that you decided to listen to this. And Another thing I want to talk about is healing your body after this. Um, I do, you know, movement and I'm a personal trainer. I've done, you know, I've taught every type of movement class that you could possibly imagine from cycling to dance to yoga to Pilates. And I will say that dropping into my body has really, really helped me. Um, Every time I get into my hip flexors and my lower abdominals, because obviously that's where the trauma stores from sexual assault, typically, depending on like what happens, but if it's with penetration, that doing practices that open up my hip flexors and allow me to move in that area are so, so helpful and beneficial. I mean, just yesterday I was working through a few movements and they just felt so, so good because it it really helps me to reclaim my body and to reclaim my own, my body in space moving in a way that feels good and liberating for me. So I highly recommend that you get into a mind-body type movement practice that's going to feel really, really, really good for your body and for your mind. So that is very important. And for anyone who is looking for assistance or needs support, there is the National Sexual Assault Hotline. It is at 1-800-656-HOPE. The website that I shared statistics from is online.rain.org. So www.online.rain2ends.org. And if you want to share your experience or if you would like to connect, I would be more than happy to chat on on Instagram. I am at Wholehearted Glow Coaching. My name is Blaze Colette, and I really hope that that was helpful for you. 
please know that you are not alone, that it is not your fault, that it is okay, that you have the capacity to heal, and that you are supported. So if you've been through something, know you're not alone. Please, 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 please know that. Go to therapy, whatever you need to do to heal. I have also been doing therapy for this. And yeah, you can you can trust again. You can be intimate again. You can communicate again. And yeah, that's all I have for you today. I hopefully you enjoyed the episode. Hopefully it was pertinent to you, useful to you. And I will talk to you soon. See you on the other side. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Wholehearted Glow podcast today. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you liked what you heard, feel free to write a review. I would love, 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 love to hear from you. And if you would like to connect on Instagram, I am at wholehearted underscore glow. Lots of daily shenanigans going on there, but also like real life stuff, coaching stuff, fitness stuff. So anything you need, that is the place to contact me directly. And I will speak with you soon. Bye.